Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live... F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast, an independent Formula One podcast that aims to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute, and a wide array of F1 subject matter experts, like Joe here, that cover every aspect of F1 from racing to politics, tech, news and business. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joining you from inside a real shed in the actual outside. Now, I'm joined by a man who was described by a prominent and handsome F1 podcaster as someone that I've now met, the Titanic, Joe Saywood. How's it going, Joe? Well, I'm sinking, obviously. If I'm Titanic, how can I possibly be still afloat? The ship ruined the good name of Titans. No, you're like a Greek god, a titan of a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just a bloke who writes about motor racing for a long time, that's all. Pretty big dude, though. Now I've met you in real life. It's true. No, you mean tall? Yeah, you're a tall human, a large human. I was going to say, I'm glad you say tall, not wide, you know, so, yeah. Yes, I'm tall enough, but I'm not as tall as some of them, you know. There are lots of tall people. Not in Formula One, lots of midgets in Formula One, but... um, yeah, I'm just normal sized, really. No? You're not, not compared to me. You're a Goliath. But being <laughs> being small for a racing driver is the one thing that's stopping my son uh, being upset about being smaller than his mates. I said, no, that'll make you good as a go-karter. Yeah, in theory, that's true. As a go-kart racer, you should be better the smaller you are. That's entirely wrong. It shouldn't be like that. What, they should just have ballast? Yes, they should. Why should small blokes be faster than far- tall blokes? Can't we have any advantages, Joe? You have advantages because all the small people in the world become megalomaniacs. It's, it's therefore, they, they work harder and take over the world. Look at, this, look at Napoleon. Look at Adolf Hitler, Bernie Ecclestone, Jean Todd. They're all midgets. Oh, sorry, did I say that? Small they're people. All, they're, they're all smaller people, yes. So yeah. they're, 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 they have extra drive and therefore they have benefits of being small. I think extra drive just from everyone sort of kicking you around from school. Small no, man syndrome is real. No, no, no. That's an advantage. Good. It makes you tougher. 
Yeah, exactly. Being tall is just makes you lazy and fat, you know. Well, it was fun at the London Live event, learning all around. Oh, good. I'm pleased to hear that, yeah. No, I did. I had loads of fun sitting there. The only thing was, is I'm sitting there and normally I get to pepper you with questions for an hour and my, my hands are just itching to go up and down. I'm going, ah, oh, I want to ask a million questions. And why didn't you? You kept going to other people, Joe. You asked me one question and then you said, right, I'm not hearing any more from that Wally. Not more than I have uh, to. No, I don't think. I mean, there are some people, there are one or two who are quite insistent, who I did answer a few more times. But I did say at the end, anyone else got any more questions? And did I hear your voice leap forward? No. Honestly, it was, it was so much fun watching how much that audience genuinely just hangs off your every word and just adores you as an F1 journalist. Like you've built up such a nice community of fans in uh, your very few amount of years, Joe. <laughs> I mean, basically... The thing about being supposedly uh, adored, whatever, is you, if it's you doing it, you don't really get it. You just think, what are all these people doing hassling me? And because you don't think there's any, I, I honestly don't see it, but um, it's very pleasant to hear that. But, you know, people tell me sometimes I'm very frightening and I'm not frightening at all. I'm jolly nice. But people say, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't talk to you because... You were Joe Sayward. What? No, seriously, I mean, there are journalists like that who've told me that over the years, and I just go, well, just get over it and ask a question. Could it be the fact that you just tell people to just get over it and shut up, be part of the reason everyone's scared of you, Joe? No. No, no, no. I'm a sweet and lovely human being. I, I'm a missionary in the world of non-motor racing. That's what it is. I was sent out into the jungles of non-motor racing to convert the masses. Christopher, Christopher in the chat room is saying, uh, disproportionate number of CEOs are above average height. Yeah. So just let us have being racing driver. Yeah. Joe. So the person who wrote that comment is obviously short. Yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah. Because why would you know that otherwise? That's true. Uh, so, so yeah, people were, were not only adoring, but they were really excited. So I don't want to make this seem like an advert for your live events at races, but everyone there was genuinely having a buzzing good time. And it's not necessarily what you would expect from bloke sits down everyone asks him questions for three hours you wouldn't think that would be like an adrenaline pumping thing but everyone was really you know on it i liked it i i, mean, I really enjoy doing it because it is it, it may not seem like a challenge but it's fun to do it's fun to answer questions it's fun to to think a little bit um and i went on on monday i went to cranfield university where i'm a lecturer um and I had some of the brightest brains of, of motorsport engineering of the future who were there. And to be quite honest, the fans asked just as good questions as the geniuses of the future. But the fact is that it's fun to do and it's fun to uh, – that it's a real pleasure to pass on um, the flame to the next generation, if you get that. I mean, I think people who've done this sort of stuff, when you're doing lectures and you're doing talks – your big thrill is not answering the questions, but every so often you see somebody in the audience and you, that person there is going places. And that person there is smart, whatever it is. And it, it's Ron Dennis is really big on that. It's the passing on the flame thing to the next generation. And I'm, I'm all for it. You know, we need fans for the future and um, hopefully we can help make them. Well, I mean, the audience wasn't necessarily, you know, fans of the future, was it, in, the, in demographics? No, demographically speaking, it was absolutely online bingo bango straight down with <laughs> Formula One demographics, which is 
There, I think there was one who was under 30. Me. No, no, you tried to pretend you were, right. but you were. That's right. Yes, no, correct. There yeah. was a man. There was a there was a man, boys, child, whatever you want to call him, in the front row who might have been. So, um, talking about why you might come across as slightly intimidating to people, are you aware that your first look after every question is just a dagger of "Oh my, how incompetent is this fool?" And then you warm up and you give a glowing, lovely answer. Really? Yeah. No, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry, I need some stage training, obviously. I don't know. No, it all I, just it's, answers it's all probably, right. It's probably actually just struggling to hear what they're saying because I'm going deaf. Too many racing engines in me youth. <laughs> well, it was fascinating learning all about F1 and ballerinas from you in London, Joe. <laughs> uh, don't mention the word that goes with ballerinas. I won't. So, uh, and it's lovely that your wife was there supporting you as well, because my wife barely acknowledges what I do here. What she says is, oh, are you off to speak to nerds on the internet? Don't be offended, listeners. We know we're nerds. My wife was very happy to come to London. We had a nice weekend. Um, She got deserted on Sunday night because I went to the Autosport Awards. Um, She came up to Cranfield and, and... had to sort of well she she said i don't want to sit in the back of the room so she went off and had coffee with the uh, professor while i was talking which is fine she had a nice time but um yeah it's tough it's tough being a, a racing wife because you get left behind all the time you know she gets to come and play um a, a number of races if she wants to nowadays you can get passes and elders you couldn't do it but but having said that there's nothing worse than being in a paddock where someone it's, it's like me going to her office and just sitting and, there and hanging out with with um, architects, which is what she does. Um, and to be honest, after the first ten minutes, you can have a couple of conversations about. Well, oh yes, I've seen that because one of the great advantages of being a Formula One is you get to see buildings all around the world. So I've seen some of these things that some of the architects have never seen because I just happen to be there in places that have money. So if you haven't seen the Burj Al Khalifa, for example, in Dubai which is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. So um, I'm actually a sort of secret architectural fan because I've been to all kinds of places and it's, it's really lovely to see beautiful buildings. So she's rubbed off on you a little bit, but I think you messed up because the bit of advice my dad gave me was never marry a woman smarter than you. You'll be outsmarted your whole life. Oh, was that a compliment to my wife? Well, if she's an architect, Joe, she's probably smarter than some hack journo. Well, she's very smart. This is true. But she's not an architect. She just runs the oh, firm, right. you know. So, um, no, no, she's very smart. Very smart. But um, otherwise, I wouldn't have married her because, you know, rule number rule number one, don't marry two dim women. Oh, not not two separate dim women, but women that are too dim. Right. Gotcha. <laughs> right. No. Always... no I, let's not go down this path. Let's change the subject, shall we? I was logistically confused then for a moment. Uh, okay. well, I've, I have married two women, but I didn't mean that in the sense of any of them being dim, you know. Certainly not. Well, don't worry. I'm sure we'll get it in the edit. Um, but you, you mentioned autosport there briefly, the glitz and glamour of the end of season. Um, our friend at Downforce UK, Jake Sanson, was there and was doing the whole red carpet thing. Like, What capacity were you in? Were you there on the red carpet trying to press gang people for a quick, a quick comment for GP Plus magazine? No, I just walked up and ignored the red carpet. I said hello to Craig Slater from Sky, who was there. And uh, I think the first, I know I, I actually hit Karen Chandok just as a sort of friendly thwack <laughs> as I went by. And then I got uh, mugged. I was mugged by David Richards of ProDrive and Aston Martin, who said, 
why didn't you come and join the party upstairs? Then I made, then I embarrassed myself by getting my Darren's mixed up. Um, cause I, I didn't recognize an awfully important world champion because he's not in formula one. Um, I knew the name of course, and I knew the achievement, but he'd got a beard that he'd grown and I hadn't sort of spotted it. So I was sort of blathering on about some rubbish about some other Darren and he, and eventually I sort of went, ah, <laughs> And then he said, and I said, how many other racing drivers are in the room? Help me out here. I'm an old bloke. Uh, and he said, well, there's this and there's and, you know, these guys. And he pointed over in the corner of this sort of haystack, kind of Brendan Hartley lookalike right. type. And he said, that's um, Nicky Tim. And I go, oh, yeah, I know. I knew his dad. <laughs> I reported on his dad. Very good driver. Anyway, that was that was my um, that was my early evening. And then after we'd had a few drinks and what else happened? Damon Hill was in the little reception thing. It was quite nice. It was just nice sort of pleasant thing. And we went downstairs to the big bad room. And I, the first thing that happened actually, is I bumped into Chase Carey and, uh, Sean Bratches had a bit of a chat with them. Um, and then it took about, took about half an hour to get across the room. Wait, 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 table. Joe, you can't glaze past that. You, what kind of chat you know, did I you do, have I, with? But I do it all the time. You just, you know, just rub shoulders, just, how's it going, Chase? How's the missus? Yeah, well, the missus was there, actually. I met her for the first time. She seemed very, very pleasant. Sean Sean was, was not there with his missus. He was there being businesslike. And so we had a quick discussion about Miami because it's a bit of a mess there. Um, and then I had a long chat with Chase about, uh, it, interrupted by a number of drunks who came charging through, hey, you do a very nice job, Chase, very good. You know, this sort of stuff. To you um, or to Chase? No, to Chase, not to me. <laughs> um, and uh, and we, we were having a conversation just about you know, sort of, I actually can't remember the, the full details of it. It was basically about whether or not we're going in the right direction. Um, and he seems pretty pretty cool about it. But the trouble with those events is that they're terrific and they're great fun. But you meet so many people you know that it takes forever. If you want to cross the room, I had to go across the entire room to the table I was at. And it took half an hour. Because you were just being stopped. Is that you stopping people or people stopping you, the great Joe Saywood? No, 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 no. It's the great Joe Saywood. It was me seeing people I know and people seeing me. And some of them I didn't know. Not many. Most of them I knew. But there were people came up saying, oh, I love the blog, which is great. It's lovely. It's a really sweet thing to do. But And then you make nice conversation. And it's, you know, you go to the next one. And there's, then there's somebody you go, mm, who's that? Oh, they've, had, they've done their hair, you know, done their hair differently. So um, I have to remember who they are. And then you see the legends and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it took forever to get across the room. It was fun. It was delightful. But it is, it's always kind of frustrating because you see people for two minutes at a time. And you don't really have a chat. So I saw a hundred people. Actually, when I was reading them, I have a little book with all the names in it um, of all the people who were present. See, there it is. Um, And when I looked at it while having a bath, actually, because you can't read it at the time. um, Before or after? Afterwards. Right. Um, and I was just reading through, seeing who'd been there, who I hadn't seen. It was really interesting because there were so many people on an evening like that you you don't see people as much as you see them because there are so many people. There's a thousand people, which is lovely. I mean, it's 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 absolutely fantastic. I saw my first editor of Autosport, uh, a legend way beyond um, 
know, the sort of modern use of the world, the man who made autosport what it is, he was sitting quietly at a table at the back because he's a, he's a humble man. And um, it was really lovely to see him. You know, th- there are people like that. You have this, you have, you have any number of people who are there. Um, but it's, it's always, it's like the British Grand Prix. It's a problem because you see so many people you know. And there are so many stories to tell. And it's lovely. And at the same time, it's frustrating because you want to spend more time with the people. Uh, Darren there in the chat room is just asking Joe. Sorry, sorry, which Darren? I need to check before. <laughs> I get confused on Darren's, you know. Uh, well, this is Darren Johnson, who is of Strawberry Cottage Extensions. No, got landscaping. Sorry, Darren. Uh, Joe, how much of the stuff uh, at a thing like Autosport is totally off record and relaxed. Is there like a gentleman's agreement that you're not going to report on that? Or do they accept that those conversations are going to go further? It depends who you are. I mean, I don't even say off the record anymore. If I'm in a conversation, actually, I don't think I said off the record once in the whole evening because people know that I will uh, deal with things in a way that's right. I did actually ask, to be fair, I asked Sean Bratches a question, can I, can I do that? And he said, sure, no problem. But usually when you know people enough, then you don't need to ask what's on and off the record because you know. And, and you can say that's being, uh, it's not being a proper journalist, but the, 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 there's no proper journalist in Formula One. You know, people, no, no, I don't mean that nastily, but I mean in terms of the Fleet Street Right. Uh, piranha eating journalists, you know, they're not welcome. Why would they be welcome? Because all you do is you go in and news is negative. And, and we're not there to be negative about everything. You can always find people. There are some people who are there who to be negative about everything. But, you know, you get bored of them. What you want is positive. You want news. You want sport that's what we're there for we're not there to say this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong we do sometimes say this is wrong this is wrong but we're there to say this is right more than this is wrong and this is something that people who have a limited life expectancy in formula one don't understand is that if you want to go and be a super proper journalist go out in the big world and play in the big bad games if you want to be in Formula One, it's a balancing act, and you do it as charmingly as you can, or like a water buffalo in some cases, but let's not go into names. Um, Put it in the Skype chat. <laughs> no, no, but if you go in like a water buffalo, you'll go out like a water buffalo because basically that's not what you're there for. I'm really, we are not, yeah. We're not there to expose every single scandal we can possibly find. You're not we're the not. sun, yeah. No, no, but we're not. And, and we're not there to create scandals that aren't there. We're there to just report and do an old-fashioned job. Sorry, I've just moved my computer. Um, we're there to report on sport. And and you have to understand, as well, I get stuff on my blog about saying, you're not a proper journalist. And the answer is, well, gee whiz, you finally worked it out. I am not a proper journalist because I'm not going after negative stories all the time. What I am is somebody who loves the sport and is trying to pass that on to others. I am a proper journalist, but not not in the extent to which proper journalism is deemed to be today. And people forget that it's a relatively recent phenomenon where you had the tabloids going after every negative thing, trying to do the big headline. Oh. They used to stand outside Downing Street and say, excuse me, Prime Minister, do you have a word for the Grateful Nation? Yeah, and they don't. I mean, it's just... 
The other thing to bear in mind is that the people who come to Formula One from what we used to call Fleet Street, which is a gradually collapsing village um, where there aren't many people left nowadays, to be honest. But they used to come and they used to come for the sensational factor only. And if you want to look sensational, okay, I could just sat there on, on Sunday night and said, Lewis Hamilton's not here. Therefore that's a news story. Like London live, like everyone did. Well, some people did, but the fact is that Lewis Hamilton wasn't there for a reason. What that reason was, it may be that Lewis Hamilton considered whatever he was doing. And I don't know what he was doing. Cause I don't care. Um, he didn't consider the Autosport Awards to be important enough for him. But having said that, the following, but the following day, uh, yesterday, I think it was, he went to the, uh, the BRDC lunch um, where they handed him awards. In the evening, he didn't go to Paris for the FIA Hall of Fame. Maybe he should have done because he's a world champion. So... You know, people have to make their choices based on what their lives are doing. And if it doesn't fit, nine world champions turned up when there are 20 of them alive, you know? So it wasn't just Lewis. Well, Nelson Piquet, who was in London the night before, didn't go to Paris. Keki Rosberg wasn't in Paris. You know, you can go through the list and say, this isn't right. Mika Hakkinen wasn't in Paris. Kimi Räikkönen wasn't in Paris. Why not? Do they not consider the Hall of Fame to be important? Obviously not. So. You can judge them. You can say they're right, they're wrong. But they have other things. They're making money. Lewis Hamilton, I think, was something to do with the fashion, something, fashion awards in London. For him, that's more important. Does that make me think he's a bad person? No, it's just he was more important. You know, if somebody invited me to to do something more important, I don't know, you know let's not get into specifics, but what, somebody's... No, more, more than autosport, of course. I was going to say, surely the shed is a priority. Well, my, look, look no. to be honest, autosport hasn't invited me to the autosport awards since 1993. Oh. I get, I get invited by somebody else, not by autosport. I work for, I gave 10 years of my life to autosport, but they don't, they don't invite me to the awards. Fair enough. I get invited by somebody else because I just happen to know other people. But you know, that's, it's an interesting reflection. You know, if you want the people, you invite them, but you have to treat people fairly as well. And so, you know, yes, Lewis Hamilton, he's famous for having met Ron Dennis at the Autosport Awards, blah, blah, blah. But is the Autosport Awards the most important thing in his life? At a certain point, he says no. I'm in re- fact, in fact, last uh, the Autosport Awards, there were two interesting arguments, two, three, one. There's one real Grand Prix driver, only one actual Grand Prix driver who was there, which was Brendan Hartley. And then there was Charles Leclerc, who is, and there is Robert Kubica, who may be. And then there's a bunch of youngsters and a bunch of oldsters. But actually, from a grid of 20 people, we managed to get one, or they managed to get one. Now, is that a reflection on the sport? Is that a reflection on the magazine? Is it? Ref- I don't know. But that's the way it is. Well, those guys are megastars, so their time is in demand. It could just be that, I suppose. But, but, but you would think that what's important to them is being in front of their audience. Their peers. Yeah. Their, no, not just their peers, but their, their audience as well. You know, the autosport, motorsport, whatever it's called, network that, that is so big, you'd think they'd want to be there, but they're not. So, so if I had award ceremonies, nobody would turn up. 
Oh, I don't know. You'd have at least three of this chat room. Yeah, but it wouldn't be. You know, the fact is that the fact is that award ceremonies are seen by stars as being tiresome. Um, And the only reason they go to the FIA prize giving, which is this coming week, is because the top three have to. But I'll bet you that the fourth man in the world championship is not going to be there. Which, what does that say? It's a bunch of guys wearing dinner jackets who are having a good time with some stars who turn up. In that case, they have to turn up to get their trophies. But, you know, it's also there is another element to it, which is at the end of a very long season, you really don't want to be doing too many of these things. Yeah. Because you're tired. I'm tired. My back hurts. I'm sick. I've got, you know, as I showed you earlier on, I've lost it now. But somewhere here, very close to hand, is Lemsip. Okay, Steve, I'm, I'm going to need you to airbrush over the Lemsip and beep out the word. That'd be great. Thanks. Okay. What's, so, wrong, uh, what's wrong with Lemsip? Well, I don't know. It's just branding. We're, we're a pro outfit now. We can't just willy-nilly be throwing out recommendations or apparent ones. Well, uh, anyway, out there in the real world, <laughs> all you people who don't worry about these small things, if you're going anywhere and you're traveling in the world, Lemsip is the best answer. I've been doing it for 25 years and it works in most cases. The trouble is you've just got to have enough of it. Anyway, so that's the advert. I don't even know who makes it. I think, hang on a minute, I'll have a look and see. It is made by Beecham's probably. Um, and I highly recommend it and I don't want it bleeped out. So there it is. Lemsip saves you all, all the problems you ever have. Although I've never tried it for sexually transmitting. <laughs> Whoa! Okay, sexually Steve. transmitted diseases. It probably doesn't work. So, yeah. Okay, but uh, I'm holding up. But, but uh, I don't know that. So a missed sure. apex mug available from www.missedapexpodcast.com. You have mugs. Yeah, we'll send you one, Joe. We're, we're going to well, line I'm, up some merch for next year. I'm going to complain. I want one. Give me, give me, give me. Uh, speaking of seeing your autosport mentor um in the background um it actually his, name, up... his name by the way is quentin spurring and he is the best ever editor of autosport absolutely you. take your word for it joe if you say so i'm sure that's very close to true um dakota c says i am sort of curious about how joe managed to become part of the scene like how did he get his press pass and who was joe sayward before he was joe sayward i quite like that question before you were joe sayward you know who who were you I was a nerdy student. I was a stu- I was a history student at uh, London University, and I used to read Autosport every week. And it cost like sixty p or something a week in those days. And I would read it, and I wanted to get into that world. And so I looked at it very closely, and I and I discovered that um, Autosport didn't have a European Formula Three correspondent. And I thought, ha. Huh, how careless is that? A gap. There was a gap. And so I wrote to them and I said, I'll be a European Formula 3 correspondent. What do I get paid? And the answer was, well, nothing. Well, it wasn't quite nothing, but it was very close to nothing. And so I did the logical thing, which is I went to the opposition, Motoring News at the time, now called Motorsport News, now all owned by the same empire. But at those days, they were separate. And I said, uh, you don't have a European Formula 3 correspondent. How much do you pay per race? And so between the two of them, they paid, I think it was shocking. It's shocking. But it was £80 a race for two reports, which wasn't enough to go anywhere. But I just set off and started doing it. So if you want to be a Formula 1 report, you've got to get off your ass 
not sit at home and play on the internet and tell everybody how good you are. You've got to get off your ass and go and do it. And that's what the modern generations, the Will Buxtons, the Chris Medlins, they got off their bums. They didn't sit at home saying it's too expensive, it's too hard to do. They went out there, they did it, they starved. They got rescued by people like me who'd been rescued in previous generations by other people. And we pay it on. You know, If we find somebody who is struggling to survive, we will help them because we understand, although they may take our work, Will Buxton's now a megastar, you know, but we helped him out. And that's how it is. And that's what you do. So if you want to do it, stop whining, stop saying it's too hard, go and do it because that's what we all did. Um, and I have, in fact, introduced you to a young lad who did just that. I think his life was on hold for a month because he just put every penny he had to go across the Pacific Ocean to be able to report on a race because he had a press pass and he needed to make the most of it. And when you hear about people making that kind of commitment, it's really admirable. And they're the kind of people who are not going to go there, do the tabloid thing of trying to be sensationalist. They're people with a real passion for it. And, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm just really heartened. But, but, but hang on, you said every penny he had. That's not right. You've got to spend more than every penny you've got. That's, that's bad maths, Joe. That doesn't work. That's very true, but that's how it is. So, um, but no, that's how we do it. That's how we judge if people are serious or not, if they're willing to go out and do it. And, and I, and all I was doing was following a tradition of people who'd done the same thing. Great. Um, going back, going back to, uh, the, to the years of Dennis Jenkinson and, and the, you know, people going out and doing it and selling the stuff they got and making a name. And that's, that's, that's how you do it. So staying at home and saying it's not fair, is not the right answer. Joe, well, your uh, grateful public here in the chat room has a few questions, if you don't mind fielding some impromptu things here. Uh, firstly, Formula Ben has said, in a previous podcast, Joe alluded to punk music he listened to in his youth, but he didn't name names. Can you get it out of him, Spanners? Punk oh, God. Music? I don't remember I'm, try- I'm trying to remember them. That's, that's how you're so good when you eventually were rocking out to our, our metal outro. It I went makes sense really, I, I went to some things I wouldn't admit to nowadays, but that was before. It was in the same era of punk, but uh, I was down there in, what was that place at Camden Town called? Um, Camden Lock. I know there were the places. And you, you saw people who were going to be the new stars of the future. Um, so, I mean, I did things. I went to see Haircut 100 before they were famous, you know. Uh, Paul Young, before he made it. I was there. Uh, and there were a bunch of punk bands, and I can't remember all of them, but I'm sure that um didn't see the Sex Pistols, but I think I saw most of the others. But I mean, it wasn't really my thing at the end of the day. I don't like, you know, who likes sticking pins through your ears and things, you know? <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Excellent. See, this is the sort of personal detail people want from you, Joe. I bet they'd pay good money to see a, a youthful Joe Saywood in his punk get-up in a cellar bar in London. No, no, I wasn't wearing punk get-up. It's not me. But uh, now Damon Hill, on the other hand, he was a, he was a proper punk, although he had a he had a haircut, one hundred hairdo while being a punk, you know. So, but no, da- but Damon was a bass player, the cool guys, you know, the guys who always get the girls, you know. <laughs> he enough. was a he was a biker too. 
Oh, I was once upon a time, a long, long time ago. Yeah, he was a biker and a bass player and a Formula One world champion. So he always All gets right, the girls. Damon Hill had a better life than me. I fully accept that. Uh, let's go on to Chris Boardman. Oh, Olympic champion cyclist, Chris Boardman. That'll be him, yes. Definitely. Are you saying that the, our patrons here in the chat room couldn't be Olympic champions? Can you ask Joe about working on F1 News? Always seemed a great magazine for putting the fun side of F1 across. And I'm sure Joe worked with Derek Wright on the magazine. I did. The great late Derek Wright. Yeah, Derek was, um, uh, he, he struggled along. He was, by, he was fighting a big empire the autosport empire, which I'd just left and he did a great job. I mean, it was a, it was a, it could have been a lot better with some more money, but it was a great magazine and it was fun. And that's the most important thing. We made it fun for people. We wrote in a fun way. Uh, we had F1, the famous columnist whose real name was Eric Silberman. Give away a few secrets. Why not? doesn't matter anymore. And Eric's had more pseudonyms than I have in Formula One, which is quite an achievement. But he was at one point the Honda PR man. And he was writing a column while being a Honda PR man. And he's a very funny guy. So um, that was a bit of a risk at that time. So because in Honda, you're supposed to sort of um, just, uh, what's the word, parrot the party line. But Eric would parrot the party line on the one hand, and on the other hand would say shocking things in print. So good for him. We, I'm Eric. Eric's a great, great. He's still around. He's still going strong. No longer in PR. But I mean, if Eric was doing Honda PR nowadays, it would be a bloodbath. Wait a minute. So you're saying you've written under different names as well, Joe? Yes, I have. In what context? Just to, you know, like a bit of freelancing or just I because... couldn't possibly comment. But... Oh, it's because you wanted to get things out that you felt would like. No, no, there was. Well, I'll give you an example. Yay. When I left Autosport, I left in, in unpleasant circumstances because the editor was an asshole. He's now dead, and I'm allowed to... Sorry, uh, bleep. The editor was a bleep. Um, he's now dead, so I can abuse him, which is fine. Um, and and I was annoyed about that. So <laughs> look at your face. It's great. So, oh, God, what's he done now? I'm so just, bad at editing. I've got to write it down. Go on. Just bleep it, you know. Anyway... Um, and he was just difficult. So I thought, well, I'll give him a give him a taste of, you know, a little bit to understand. So I, for a long time, I wrote for Motoring News without any credits at all, just to annoy them, just to get better stories than they had. And uh, eventually, Andrew Benson, who was a news editor of Autosport, said to me one day, he said, are you writing for Motoring News? Because he couldn't figure out how they kept beating him. Because, you know, er, er, Andrew is extremely good. He's now at the BBC, and, and I recommend his stuff highly. But uh, he just couldn't figure out how he kept getting beaten by this motoring news lot. And the truth is I was doing it for fun, for a very <laughs> small amount of money, and for no recognition at all, just to annoy them. So, And I've written under other names. And if you're going to ask the obvious question, which is, am I the mole? The answer <laughs> is I'm not telling. That means you definitely are the mole. No, it doesn't. All right. Or the opposite of that. Or all the other pseudonyms that have existed over time. Most of them are Eric Silberman, to be honest. Most of them are Eric. But the mole was far too good for Eric. It wasn't. (laughs) I don't know who the hell that was. The chat room's trying to figure out which Kerrang writer is actually Joe Saywood. 
Ah, okay. No, no, no. I, I generally write under my own name. But most journalists have got other names they use occasionally if there are things they can't do and they. You know, well, in the in the days when there was work in in the written word, <laughs> let's put it another way, um, most of us wrote under different names at some point. I just find it unbelievable that people would express themselves using something that isn't their real name. I'm Richard Spanners Ready, <laughs> my real name. No, uh, follow me at Spanners Ready uh, on Twitter and at Mr Apex F1. And if you want an easy way to find our show. If you're not going to subscribe on your podcast player, you can go to www.mistapexpodcast.com and every episode is there and every post has audio or video for you to choose from. So do come and visit us. Joe, wake up. We're, we're going to talk to you again. <laughs> Sorry, it was the advert that got me there. Um, I was just going to say, I don't believe that your parents took you into a church. Mr. and Mrs. Reddy, what name would you like for this child? <laughs> well, we'd actually like Spanners. Because yeah. vicars are allowed to say no, you know. If you have a ridiculous name, they don't have to let you do it. You know, you don't have to be Dweeble or or something ghastly. You know, they'll say, no, that Dweeble's not a religious name, so we can't have that, you know. It only costs 40 quid, you know, to go down the registry office and just pick any name you want. Yeah, but you're not allowed to have spanners necessarily. I'm going to experiment. In, in, I'm going to see if it's possible. In some country, in France, for example, they can veto your name. And Finland. Really? Mm -hmm. There's set names that the state mandates that every child has to pick from. Midki and Gimmi. Yeah, And Erki exactly. and Schnurki and Blurki and Nurki. Okay, yeah, well, fair enough. you've totally thrown me off course. Uh, <laughs> what were we talking about? Um, we were talking about motor racing, I think, at some point. Yeah. No, I don't think you've done that at all, which is fantastic. It's been really nice to kind of get an mm. insight into what you think about your actual profession and job. It's been great. Take your word for it. What else is happening in the world of Formula One anyway? You must know. Oh, I don't know anything, Joe. I know what you tell me, what Carter tells me, what Matt tells me, what Summers tells me, what Chris Stevens tells me. I just sit here going, really? Wow, that's incredible. Um, but just well, there, there isn't much news, but I would like to say. Do it. Actually, I've just remembered. I was talking to Chase Carrier about the Alfa Romeo deal with Sauber. And we were both agreeing that it was worth a tiny amount of money, but it was a brilliant bit of PR from Sauber. Yeah, it, it does. Be because they, they, have, they have told the world that Alfa Romeo is coming back. The fact that Alfa Romeo was on the Ferrari last year seems to have been forgotten by everybody apart from the two of us. Um, so they're paying probably the same amount of money they were paying to Ferrari. And, and endless people are writing how Alfa Romeo is coming back as a, as a factory team. It's not. Don't break it's my heart. I love Alphas. Come on, tell me it's an Alfa Romeo team. But it's been called Alfa Romeo Sauber. Yeah, an Aston Martin Red Bull. What's the difference? They're, they're not Alfa Romeo engines, just as Aston Martin. They're Tag Heuer engines. As we all know, Formula 1 cars are powered by watches. <laughs> so it's just a tag. So you're telling me that it's okay, we can rest easy. The window windy mechanism in the Sauber is still going to work, despite it being an Alfa. I'm not sure they have any windows in the Sauber last time I looked, but... Um... No, probably it'll rust before the end of the season, won't they? Isn't that the, the, the tradition? I think I think that what they're trying to do with the Alpha thing is to stop people thinking they're Italian rust buckets and make them sexy. Um, will they make them sexy by being in Formula One with Sauber? That's another question. Is Sauber sexy? Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah. Oh, sorry, not Salva. I thought Alpha. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had an Alpha and I sort of think that everyone who considers themselves a petrol head has had an Alpha at some point, And it's a great way to learn how to fix a car in the middle of nowhere. That's not what they want to hear. What they want to hear is that Alfa Romeo is a sexy brand that goes back to 1920 blah, and they're just fabulous and sexy, and everyone wants one because they're great cars. I I believe that the modern cars, I haven't driven one, but I believe that the modern cars they're producing now are very, very good. But the image of Alfa Romeo disappeared. Alfa being a sexy brand disappeared in the 70s, and so they're trying to rebuild that. But how they're doing it, it's very clever, but you know, do let, let let us not let us not imagine that what we have seen from Sauber last week—that's a five million dollar sponsorship deal. Oh, that's all it is, right? Then they've definitely made a big deal out of that. Then Alpha have done a terrific job. Sauber have done a terrific job telling the world about this thing. But it's not about an engine. It's not about anything beyond. I mean, look, if it was a lot of money, you think they would have Marcus Ericsson driving the second car? No. Marcus Ericsson would be thrown out the door if it was 10 million. Is that all it would take to get rid of Marcus Ericsson? Okay, no, no, guys. No, that, no, no. To have, if you want to have Charles Leclerc and Marcus Ericsson, that's 5 million. If you want Charles Leclerc and Giovinazzi, Antonio Giovinazzi, 10 million would do it. They kick him out. How much do you reckon our Patreon group could just raise just enough money, just contribute a little no. bit of money to get rid of Ericsson? Oh, Ericsson's a very nice fellow, but that's not the point. You know, the fact is that Giovinazzi's better, Verline's better. You know, there are lots of drivers who are better than Marcus Ericsson, but because he's Swedish, he's very fortunate that the team owner is Swedish. The, team, the, the invisible, famously anonymous team owner appeared on stage the other day in, our, in uh, wherever it was, in, uh, in Milan. So, Is this uh, the one that he, loves you? Yeah. But if you're trying to be anonymous, I've got a little tip, successful tip. Don't walk on stage and have Sergio Marchioni mention your name. Bad idea. So um, you're, you're giving Alpha a bit of stick then. What's your dream car, Joe? If you win the lottery tomorrow, you never have to work again. What are you climbing in and out of every day? Toyota Prius. All right, then. You've got a chance to go on a track <laughs> day and you'll pick of any sports car to, to get in and have a blat. I don't know. I haven't. Re- I you know. I don't drive these fancy cars. The most exciting car I've ever driven is Ferrari California, which was jolly pleasant. Um, but you know, what is 
if you are a racing driver, a car is, is something that turns you on and, and, and you make a big deal out of it. If you are a reporter, you don't necessarily have to be. Most, most Formula One reporters are frustrated racing drivers. And most of them think they can do better than the drivers who are doing it. I don't think that way. I just drive to go from A to B, uh, and I appreciate a good car, but I don't know enough about it. What I'm interested in is telling stories about Formula One and and explaining about the lunatics who drive them. So, um, to be honest, I'm I'm a terrible driver. I'm not a terrible I, – I don't know if I'm a terrible driver or not. I'm just a driver, you know. I'm just a normal person. And um, so Ferrari one day lent me a – well, we, we were still speaking. You know, Ferrari <laughs> um, lent me a California, and off we went. It was fun, you know. I quite like to drive a McLaren and see if that's any good, but I'm not going to crash it. I'm not that stupid, you know. Um, I'd like to drive all kinds of fancy supercars, but then again, you know, they're, they're looking at drivers who will, you know, they're looking at journalists who'll tell the world this is a brilliant car. Uh, what I love is car magazines where they have all these guys who say this is worth its money. And then you say to them, well, okay, it's worth its money. Have you got one? Are you going to buy one? And, of course, all these car testers, they don't get paid that much. And, but they, they spout forth about how this is worth its money and this isn't worth its money. It's a load of old tosh. You can afford cars if you've got the money. Cars should be tested by people who've got the money to drive them, not by people who think they know better. You know, they might be able to say this is a better car to drive, but is it worth the money? The answer is no, it's not because they can't afford it. So and that's, this is one of the problems I have with car magazines is all these people going, well, this one's far better than that one. There's a hundred thousand pounds difference, but it's worth the extra money. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's easy to say we haven't got it, isn't it? Sell the house and buy the extra. Anyway, there you go. Whatever. So is that a hard no on you coming on the next missed apex karting day then? You don't want me driving around a car to get in the way. Probably. We want to see it. Come on, Joe. We've got, we can arm wrestle you down. <laughs> no twist your arm not arm wrestle you down that's weird. no 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 because karting is all about size and i'm a big bloke so therefore i'll be slow won't i we'll do ballast we'll have ballast we'll have a hundred <laughs> kilogram ballast for you joe uh it's it's interesting though because certainly everyone who uh asked asked questions before today about ferrari were assuming that it was in order to either a get leclerc in uh b signify and stamp that Ferrari is not going anywhere. Um, but actually, that deal runs out before the next engine regulation change, which is when they were threatening to go out. So not really any of those reasons. Well, it is. It is because they have control of Sauber effectively for the next three years. So they do. So they do. So if in the next three years you have a vote, Sauber is not going to vote against Ferrari because it doesn't make sense. So they've, you know, for a very small amount of money, they've got Leclerc in, they've got the Sauber vote. And, you know, if the Sauber owner comes up and says, don't be ridiculous, of course I'd vote against Ferrari, I would say, you're full of beep. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, definitely a fascinating situation. Oh, there's a good one in the chat room. When is Grand Prix Saboteurs coming out as an audiobook, Joe? Do you know how much money it costs to make an audio book? Um, yes, I actually know exactly how much. <laughs> it's a lot of money, isn't it? And I looked at it and went, you've got to be kidding me. So the only way it's going to come out as an audio book is if I do it myself. And, and actually reading an audio book, it may sound easy to do, 
but it's actually quite hard. And you, you have to do it without making blah, 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 blah noises halfway through. So it's really hard to sit there and read an entire whatever number of pages it is book without making a mistake and making it sound exciting and good. So I looked at it and went, okay, that's insane. The amount of money necessary to make it into an audio book is insane. I'd love it to be an audio book because I'm sure I'd sell some more copies or whatever the equivalent of a... Copies? Yeah. Oh, no, DVD is not a copy, is it? But No, it gets put in an app. It's a, bit, it's a bit like making an e-book, you know. Is it, is it going to sell me loads more e-books? If I say, yes, you can have an e-book and it's going to cost you the same as a paper book, people will go, well, that's not right. If well, only, why not? If only why you not? had regular contact with an audiobook narrator. Anyway, Dan L. in the chat room asks, uh, Spanners, can you ask Joe if Maurizio Arribaveni will be returning as Ferrari team principal? Yeah. Because Will Buxton said in his blog that he was going to be replaced. When? Well, mid-season, I think, is the implication there. So between the seasons. Doesn't make Will right. I think he'll still be there at the start of next year. If you ask me at the start of 2019, I would be a little bit more circumspect. I think there'll be a Ferrari team principal who's a lady before long. You think so? Mm. Oh, well, that'll be good. Darren Johnson says there's a copy of Grand Prix Saboteurs on Amazon for £899. What is so special about that copy, Joe? There must be a sucker out there who's willing to buy it. I don't know. Who knows? Why would it? I've signed a few. Ah, uh, signed one. No, 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 I've, no, but it's not worth it. Having a book signed is actually worth less. This is one of the great secrets. If you have it signed to Fred from Joe, ah, it's worth yeah. less. It's worth less. 40 so, quid, you can just change your name to Fred? Well, you can if that turns you on, but you won't be able to sell it unless you find someone called Fred, will you? So the fact is that when you're signing things, I, I always say, do you want a name? Because, and I say to them, you know, if you have a name, it's worth less. But I have no idea. I think that sounds like there's somebody out there who's a chancer who thinks that some idiot's going to buy it for 800. And good luck to them. I mean, it's worth 800, I accept, but um, it's not going to me, so I don't care. You sure. can buy them for you can buy them for like eleven, I think, for eleven quid. <laughs> if you go to Amazon, you don't have to pay eight hundred for them. Cool. We've got some questions from people who emailed in. We can pretend it was email. Who wrote me handwritten letters? Uh, Kenny Brackfan uh, wrote me a handwritten letter to the shed in outside in England and said, "We've got a world." endurance championship champion in brendan hartley and we had andre lotterer in the recent past uh get a brief crack at f1 does joe think there are any other drivers outside of the regular f1 feeder categories no matter how far removed who could succeed in f1 and that is from uh, outside of f1 feeder series category driver pip hammond yes absolutely there's no question uh a lot of the people who drive for the porsche toyota uh, Audi, WEC teams, some of the top guys in Formula E, but you know there's a reason they're in Formula E, not in Formula One. But fundamentally, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of drivers who have talent, as Brendan has, Brendan Hartley has shown. You know, he's got the talent. He comes in, does the job. Uh, Buemi could do the same. Jean Eric Verne, if they gave him a Formula One car, would be close to being as good as Daniel Ricciardo. 
because that's what he was. You know, he's lost it now because he's missed a few years. But fundamentally, oh, hang on a minute. Uh, fundamentally, he is, uh, he has the natural talent. So a lot of the time it's down to your, uh, your luck and your ability to be in the right place at the right time and money. Um, then there are exceptions. You have Max Verstappen, who is exceptional. You have, I don't know, I'm still waiting to see about Charles Leclerc. I think he's exceptional, but I want to be sure. Um, but I think that there are some who are not exceptional. You know, there are some who, they're all good. They're all good. But the exceptions, um, there's probably a hundred drivers out there who could drive Formula One successfully. Yeah, it's just uh, it's a shame that we don't have almost you know like a football type scenario where you've got several leagues. Because when you talk about F two F three, they're almost like different sports, especially when you go to Formula E. Whereas in football, you have promotion and relegation around what is essentially the same format. It's a shame we can't get it this in Formula One. So you get drivers and teams dipping in and out season by season. No, you just can't. It's a bit like having, you can say, look at IndyCar. Alex Rossi was a, he was a perfectly acceptable Formula One driver. Would he have been a world champion? Don't know. He never had the chance. But he was perfectly good at, enough. Would Joseph Newgarten, the IndyCar champion, be good enough to do it? Would um, one of the stars of NASCAR be competent enough to drive in Formula One? The answer is probably yes. These guys have the same basic talents. They have different training. And the way of the world is that everything is much more focused on what you're doing. So, you you know, there is a level of which you lose out. Like in the old days, Jim Clark went to Indianapolis, won. Jim Clark did NASCAR races. You know, Marianne Jetty won the Daytona 500. So you could switch around, but today you can't do it so easily. If you look, Montoya went to NASCAR and, and didn't actually win an awful lot. So it, it's just that the sport has changed, time changes, and everything's much more um, specific these days. So relating to what you were saying about Vern being about as good as Daniel Ricciardo, we had a question on Twitter from at Toasty Joe, who said, what advice would you give to Danny Rick about his contract? Stay or go. And top tip, Joe, when I write, have we got any questions for Joe Sayward on Twitter? If you just respond and say the answer, stay, then he has no reason to come and watch us. Well, I already have done that. He should stay. No doubt. Where's he going to go? But then why why is it is it just a lot of hot air then when he's talking about oh my next contract decision super important mate it is super important but if you're Danny Rick you're up against Max Verstappen he's hard one to beat but if you can beat him it makes you look good there's a difference however Max is on 30 mil a year and Dan's on 10 gasp now if he moves across to Ferrari and becomes a second driver to Vettel for example, are they going to let him beat Sebastian Vettel? No. If he moves across to Mercedes, are they going to let him beat Lewis Hamilton? I don't think so. No, no. Well, there are two questions there. One is, are they going to let him? And two, could he? <laughs> and this is, a, this is a, a perfectly reasonable question. I don't think that Mercedes play the same games that Ferrari do. But 
Um, I do understand also that it's a hell of a risk to go into a second drive scenario because psychologically becoming the second driver is a hard thing to get out of. And so I think if he stays where he is, he's he's sort of equal number one with Max in theory. Um, in reality, psychologically within the team, Max is probably number one. But Daniel's not far behind. And Daniel is... Uh, he's best off where he is, unless there's, a, there's another team that emerges where he can go and be full number one. And the trouble with Formula One at the moment is that there are no fourth teams. The, the fourth team, if there is one, will be McLaren. And you're not going to be number one against Fernando Alonso, are you? No, especially if you're an up-and-coming rookie. They never do well against Fernando Alonso in McLaren's. Well, except that Van Dorn is doing a very good job. But, Hamilton did all right. Yes, he did. But that was a long time ago in another world um, of McLaren because McLaren is a different team now. But um, I think that if you go into a place, you've got to also bear in mind it takes a, a while to get your feet under the table. So um, if he goes into a new team, he'll probably get beaten by... It, it, so let's just say that Fernando Alonso retires and goes off to become a NASCAR driver, whatever dream he has. If Daniel arrives at McLaren, I would expect him to have a hard time to beat Stoffel in the first year because it takes time, because everything's so complicated, because everything is so different to before. You can't just turn up and beat people. That means you're really rating Stoffel then? Yeah, well, look what Stoffel's done against Fernando. It's very good. Yeah, and I think people really want to believe that Alonso is still as good as he was at Ferrari. And as far as we know, he is. So we've got no reason to think otherwise yet. Exactly. But I mean, there is an argument that perhaps he's not, but I think he is. And I think that anybody who can match him as much as Stoffel has is therefore very good. But as I said before, you know, Formula One drivers are all good. Um, and it's really a matter of tiny percentages that make the difference. So it's just the way it is. Um, just quickly, you were speaking about Mercedes there and saying, would they let Daniel Ricciardo win? They don't play the games Ferrari do. However, do you not feel that maybe this year they've had a little taste of what it's like to have a clear number one and then a number two who increasingly will probably deliver a little bit more? Uh, and then they kind of go, hmm, maybe we just manufacture that situation from now on. No, I think that they will because they're not stupid. If they come under sufficient pressure in the future, which at the moment I don't think they have. But if they do, it is only logical to stop messing about and letting both your drivers win and take points off each other. If you want to win the world championship, you have to favor one or the other. Now, they don't have to do it at the moment, but if push comes to shove, they probably will. So these guys are not there to be benefactors of motorsport. They're there to win for Mercedes-Benz. So let's not dress them up in clothing they don't wear. The chat room would like to point out that Ricciardo stepped into a Red Bull racing seat and beat a four-time world champion. He did. But the four-time world champion was trying to leave. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I forgot about that. Yes, of course. And uh, a little performance clause meant he was free to go to Ferrari. Correct. A a cynic would say that was the case, (laughs) yes. Joe, I had intended to come here and 
talk about the season that had passed and what you'd thought of it. So I'm going to do just a little bit of that before we let you go. How have you enjoyed this season? So just say, put it in context from a personal point of view, I don't think I've enjoyed F1 as much in the last four, five, six years than I have this season. It's been good on-track action. There's been intrigue. Um, it's been presented well. And, you know, do you share that from someone inside the paddock? Yes, absolutely. I think this year has been a great year. The only, I mean... The sad thing is we ended up with a shockingly poor race in Abu Dhabi. It just wasn't good in any which way. So, um, you know, you have to, every so often you get a, you get a bad race. But most of the races were, were entertaining. They were fun. Um, they, were, they were intriguing. And they certainly kept your interest all the way through. I think it's been great to see new people running it, trying to work out good ways of making it, beyond the stunted growth that Bernie let it have. Um, and we're beginning to, it'll take a while for that to come through, but it will come through. You know, Bernie was holding the sport back and these guys have come in. Now they're going to have some troubles. They're going to have some fights, but fundamentally it's terrific where we're going, where we're heading. So I'm very positive about the future. I'm very positive about this year. Um, and it's not just because I'm in it. It's just that, you know, this is, as I've said many times before, I think this is the most, the best quality racing field that I've seen in Formula One in my career. From a driver point of view, some people yeah. still feel that they're hobbled by this aero. And I just wanted your opinion, because since I've been watching Formula One since the late 80s, nothing has been sacred, such as engines could be changed dramatically, tyres, groove tyres, soft tyres, tyre wars, um tracks have been able to be changed all these regulations have been fundamentally changed to change what the shape of the car is and what the car can do yet aero is something that only increases doesn't seem to go backwards and has a death grip on f1 it's, that's not true they, they cut back on aero every other year the one thing the one thing that was sacrosanct for years was engines they they let engines do much like nowadays it's not the case but it, you know up until three four years ago Engines were sacrosanct, and chassis were always being pulled back. Circuits, I mean, the problem that Formula One has is the fact that we have a, a, an international federation that is overly besotted with safety. And you cannot have heroes in the same way if you have total safety. Nobody should get into a Formula One car and think that they are totally safe. They should not do that. It should not be allowed for them to do that. Now, there are reasons for all this, and uh, but racing is all about spectacle. It's all about lots of different things. It's about good technology, good teams, good drivers. But fundamentally, if you want to be popular, it's about heroes. And heroes don't have halos until afterwards. So you're not a fan of the halo. That was a question from one of our listeners as well, which is, you know. The halos are a disaster for Formula One. But they are a disaster that they have brought on themselves because the FIA said we have to do something about head protection. If they hadn't said that, they wouldn't have had to do it. So now they've got to be seen to be following through. No, no, no. It's, it's, more, it's more basic than that. It's a legal requirement. If you know that there is something you can do that you should fix, you therefore have to fix it. Otherwise, you're uh, liable for negligence. And 
I don't know. Yeah, you can you can argue that if you don't say it, it's not negligence. We all know there is a danger from things flying around, but you also have to know that it's a dangerous game. So if you're going to come and play the game, accept the danger, and that you tell your family as well. Oi, you lot! I'm doing this because I want to. I'm making a pile of money. I'm getting all the good girls, and if I die doing it, it's my choice. Unfortunately, families don't think like that. And lawyers who, who come around, you know, the ambulance chasing lawyers come around and families go, you can make a load of money here. And I have to say, as, so a, as a dad, it's, it's certainly something I've thought about because I'm kind of making that decision for my kids on their behalf now. And by the time they're sentient, they'll know that racing world or I will have eased them away from it. So in a way, do these guys kind of, they grow up accepting the danger because they don't know anything else. So don't we have a protect, uh, a duty to protect them in that context no there's no duty to protect anyone if you're mad you're mad but you have to know what you're doing and if you don't know what you're doing you're stupid so you know the fact is that if they don't know that they can kill themselves in formula one cars they shouldn't be in formula one cars so a couple of follow-up sorry sorry joe part of the game is knowing how to drive to the edge without killing yourself which is why esports is such a lot of rubbish because it's all about Sorry, E, courage. It is virtual courage. You don't, in a virtual car, on a virtual track, you don't have virtual injuries. No, and I understand that. I understand that. You don't have any injuries. So it's it's rubbish. Basically, it's rubbish. It's great. It shows they have skill, but it doesn't show in any way, shape, or form that they have the courage necessary to be Formula One drivers. Being a Formula One driver is about being a brave person. Do you know what? I'm going to have the courage of my convictions, Joe. I'm going to disagree with you or respect your opinion, of course. Um, but for me, the sporting element... Uh, oh, my God, you look so angry that I disagreed. Okay, I'm sorry I didn't. But for me, the sporting element of it, the skill that you talk about, probably outweighs the danger of it as a spectator no, for me. absolutely not. Because the skill is only a half of what being a Grand Prix driver is about. Being a Grand Prix driver is going around a corner knowing you can go off and crash... And virtually, if you're doing that, you know, eh, eh, you lost your life. But you've got nine more. Yes. In real life, you don't get nine more. And that's the difference. And it's, it's basically, you can have every nerd in the world with, with you know, clear cell adverts, everything, whatever you need. But they're not going to be flashback. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a reality because most of these guys are. No, the clear cell People advert. need to get out more, you know. So, um. They do. They need to get out more and understand the real world out there because you know you're not a champion because you have went round a track virtually faster than everybody else. You're a champion when you've got when you've got the courage to do it on a real machine and hurt yourself if you get it wrong. Even if, as Craig McAllister is suggesting, they sit behind them with tasers and every time they crash, they give them a quick jolt. Good idea. We're getting but there, not, aren't not, we? Yeah. Halfway. No, no, but tasers is one thing, but you're not hurting them enough to be honest. Because <laughs> if you don't make a big mistake. Mm-hmm. No, no, seriously, if you make a big mistake in a race car, you break your leg. So a taser up your bottom isn't going to be, you know, it's, well, it depends where you put it, I suppose. But, but it's not the same thing. But they have to understand that there is real and there is virtual. And virtual is not the same. So, otherwise, it, otherwise, it would be real. Kevin 66666123. the devil. Oh, yeah, and he's a devil plus six and then one, two, three. Uh, given this, does that mean the halo can never be undone? And Don Byrne is asking, would the aero screen have been acceptable to you, Joe? 
anything is better than the halo. The halo is an ugly, unpleasant thing. I would prefer to have a fighter cockpit with no helmets. Ooh, yeah, but even in LMP1, they still have helmets, even though they're protected. Doesn't, doesn't matter. If, they, if these people are, are, are confident of their safety, then why, you know, once, you've got a, once you have a, a, a halo, why would you need a helmet? That's good. Put some TV cameras in there. You can see the drivers going, and things like that. You get better television. You know, you've got, if you're going to have safety and you're confident in your safety, well, let's get real and do it properly. That right. actually would work. You know, if you have, if you think about Star Wars, for example, you know, when Luke Skywalker's fighting his battles, they're not wearing full face helmets, are they? Uh, in the documentary Star Wars, yeah. No, you're right. It's a good point. <laughs> no, Star Wars is all virtual rubbish, but if you're going to go down that route, let's go down the whole way. Uh, Aidan Johnson's defending esports. It's not about bravery. Not everyone has the money to race for real without very committed parents and relatives and eventually sponsors. You can't even get into single-seater racing. So he's just defending it and saying it has its place. Yes, but I've got bad news for him. You don't get to get into single-seater racing via esports either. So do something else. What about Jan Maldenborough? Does he not now drive, uh, not single-seaters, but I guess he, he does have a he does, motorsport career. He does career. actually drive single-seaters. He does, but he's, yeah. Yes, but he's a very interesting example of the e-sport concept put into reality. Because Jan Maldenborough, uh, for example, um, he reality and, and, and the virtual world can get mixed up. You can go over things you're not allowed to do. Uh, and you have an accident. He had an accident at the Nürburgring, crashed over the barriers, over the debris fencing, and into a crowded area. Why and do you do that? How do you do that? The answer is because you don't know the implications that has. It's interesting. And so you have, to, you have to be in reality. If you want to be a real racing driver, you can translate across. It's possible. But you can make mistakes when you're translating. And I, I actually am a great believer in... When you're climbing the ladder now, I think it's probably right that we should have virtual training because it is too expensive. But there, there has to be a good correlation between virtual and real before it actually has a value. You shouldn't issue licenses to people who don't know what having a crash really means in real life. Yeah, well, you've just made me rethink the cart simulator I'm setting up for my kid now because he's going he's gonna to think he can get away with everything. You've ruined Christmas, Joe. I hope you're happy. Sorry. I am just I am just a black dressed Father Christmas. Let's face it. So, um, uh, uh, one user here in the chat room has been dying to get this in, and this is actually something I wanted to follow up from that we spoke about a couple of months ago, and it is LGH Djotama. Apologies, that's clearly not said right. Um, that says going back to Ericsson, Olav Moll said that Ericsson gets preferential treatment at Sauber. Does this mean the rumours about the fact that Clattenborn was fired was because she was against it? Does, in your opinion, is that true? And does this explain how he was able to increasingly match Pascal Wehrlein? Well, has Olaf Moll been sued for saying it? The answer is no, he probably hasn't. Do I believe it? Maybe. Can I prove it? No. If I can't prove it, I don't write it. So... Was she fired because of that? Probably not. She was fired because she was the wrong face in the wrong place. She's way smarter than most of the other team principals. But no, she was in the wrong place, wrong time, and wrong people, wrong characters. So the Swedish guys wanted their own thing. They've got their own thing. Let's see how they do with it. We will judge them on whether or not 
they're any good by whether their achievements are better. Now, it, it, it's not hard to beat somebody who had to decide this time last year, even before, in the summer last 2016, Manisha and her technical team had to decide to use old engines because they couldn't afford to use new ones. So that's impacting even up until last week, it's still impacting on what happened. So, you know, it's just a matter of uh, how do you judge? How do you say who's doing things right? I thought she did a terrific job. Frederick Grasser seems to be doing all right. We'll see next year. But he will have advantages because he'll have an up-to-date engine. There'll be a bit more money. Um, but I think um, we need to look at it over a five-year period and see how the owners do compared to how the previous owners did, to be honest. Thank you very much for that insightful and detailed answer, Joe. Before we go, let's finish up how we finish up our regular shows with the schmucks from the rest of the panel. And I'll ask you, what, Joe, is your thing of 2017? My thing? Yeah, like person, team, outfit, (sighs) media company, podcaster. What's your thing of the year in 2017? Change. We had change. We haven't seen the full result of the change, but we are going to see, and at least we have, we have something that's different and interesting. I think it'll be far better. So for me, 2017 in the history of Formula One will be about change because Bernie Ecclestone left the room and the door was slammed firmly behind him. I agree. I feel extremely positive about my favorite sport on the planet, but we do have a negative award, I'm afraid. Oh, no, you missed the Apex. It's the Missed Apex Award. It's like the opposite of the Thing of the Year Award. Who missed the Apex for you in 2017? Oh, that's easy. Toro Rosso missed the Apex every year. Franz Tost gets up every year at the start of the year, says we'll finish fifth year and finishes seventh every time. So um, that's I think it's three consecutive he's done now, which is a pretty major achievement, really, isn't it? So I think that was that was poor. But then again, you know, you kind of expect it. And have they really messed up now? Have they made the same mistake as they made several years back with two rookie drivers, losing signs and not retaining Kvyat? I think they'd be more worried if I were them about having Honda engines. Because having two rookies and Honda engines, you know, you might as well just shoot yourself in the head straight away. Except that towards the end of the season, you know, the Hondas didn't look so bad. I'm not optimistic, though. I would not take anyone's bet that they're going to improve. No, nor would I. Excellent. And our last award is... Daddy, I want a pony! And I want it now! The Pony Award is basically the award we give to the people who are whingy and annoying. Well, whoever that person was, charming though they may be, needs a slap. Because you can't get everything now. You have to earn it. That was my little daughter, Joe. You can't slap my little tiny daughter. I didn't. It was only metaphorical. Virtual slaps don't hurt, do they? So people who were like on the radio. It's like virtual accidents in motor racing, you know. (laughs) Well, do you know what? I'm not going to tell her. I'm going to spare little Ivy's feelings. Joe. All right. All right. So hang on a minute. I have to come up with, what was it? Somebody who is like petulant, spoiled, whinging, wanting their own way. Sebastian Vettel wins the prize hands down. Uh, what do you mean for hitting another car deliberately or for crashing into stroll after the end of the race or for slashing across his teammate and getting taken out in Singapore? Just for being a petulant. 
who needs to grow up. Sorry, uh, a petulant beep. All right. Uh, he just needs to do some growing up, as does your daughter. You know, it's just the way of the world. It's, Grow up, it, Ivy. Uncle exactly. Joe has declared yeah, but, it. But do it in in a sensible time frame, whereas Sebastian needs to do it now. So, um, But I think that when you get kicked around enough, you learn how to do it, and eventually he'll get better. So, Anyway, Ivy, I didn't mean that nastily. Merry Christmas. And Father Christmas is a nice jolly chap in red, not the nasty evil person in black that I am. I've told him, Joe. I've told him. Thank you so much for joining me in the shed. Is there any way we can persuade you to continue these conversations with us in 2018? No, absolutely not. Well, that was high risk, wasn't it? Asking him here on the live stream. <laughs> of course. I should be happy to do it. Fantastic. But, but um, why are you assuming it's over for 2017? Because it's nearly Christmas, Joe. But given the fact that I have written down here on this notebook about a million things I wanted to ask you about the autosport ceremony alone, uh, I'm sure we can get another show in. We probably can. I don't see why not. Excellent. Thank you very much for joining us, Joe. Joe, you are at Joe Sayward. And if you search Joe Sayward, S-A-W-A-R-D, on the internet, you will come up with his blog. It is well worth checking that out. And why don't you comment on the post that he does for this podcast to say how brilliant it was and how clever and sensible the host seemed. Uh, joint, go on, Joe. I just wanted to say that at the moment, although it's dull and the winter time is upon us and there's no news in Formula One, every single day on my blog, there is a fascinating Formula One fact. I've been reading them. And you can learn every day something about the history of the sport. And it's keeping a lot of people who would otherwise be out murdering small children Killing animals, whatever they'd be doing, it's making them stay at home and learn about motor racing. So it's a good thing, therefore. I didn't realise just how much you were doing for this world, Joe. I thank you. I'm, you know, it's a social service, really, to be honest. I should get government money. For everyone else, just remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Inside F1 with Joe Sayward. That is good news. I had just assumed that this would be the last one of 2017. I wanted to ask you about Damon. You obviously know Damon Hill very well. When mm. I was growing up, he was my hero. You know, fair enough, I was a young man. But, you know, he was absolutely the legend of motor car racing. I remember Damon when he was taking out the rubbish. <laughs> Seriously. No, no, so we go back a very long way. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.